Aloha, and welcome to Books, 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 where we discuss reading, writing, and everything in between and beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Rita Forsythe, coming to you from Maui on the Think Tech Network, broadcasting from our studio in downtown Honolulu. Today, we're talking to my friend and my neighbor, <laughs> Kenneth DeWalt, <laughs> author of Shotgun, The Making of a Legend, the life story of Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Welcome, Kenneth. Hey, Rita. Good to be here. <laughs> so good to have you. <laughs> Your father was the famous saxophonist Junior Walker and the leader of the American soul band Junior Walker and the All-Stars, my favorite. So I am so honored to have you here as a representative of that band. Yeah, they were Motown's signature act in the 60s, and I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> there are many, many, many songs include, uh, oh, some of my favorites. Uh, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, uh, Take to Win Your Love, and of course, yeah. Shotgun, which yeah. is famous, and you wrote a book about it. So, Ken, what was it like growing up in a celebrity family? Well, it's, you know, a lot of people asked that question, and it was, uh, as growing up, it seemed normal. And, you know, to always have uh, fans at the gate and people wanting to take your picture or to get your autograph or something like that, it just seemed like a normal life to us. Um, but as we got older and we got in, you know, like high school and college, we began to learn that we we didn't have a normal lifestyle it was different so if you know being at home it was normal but you know once we actually started getting involved with you know friends and dating and you know then we learned you know how famous our father was yeah and he was in yeah. fact i would love to play um his 1965 hit right now his his shotgun great song <laughs> so let's listen to that and we will continue after the song
Fantastic. Love that song. <laughs> Brings back memories, huh? You yes, too, it sure. does. It does. <laughs> so, Ken, what inspired you to write a book about your father and your family? There, you know, there were so many things that happened within the family and so many different dynamics. And there was, there was, we had such a, um, he lived a wild life and, um, you know, and a lot of things I didn't learn until after he had died and, um, where I started asking a lot of questions and that's what led me to write a book is because I didn't, you know, there was a lot of things I just did not know, like that he was given up for adoption as a little boy and, um, you know, and that he actually lived on the street and, you know, he was eating breadcrumbs off the pool tables to survive. And so, you know, he he lived a very hard life, but he also, as he became a man, you know, it's like the reflection of his childhood and his, you know, his adolescence. They kind they kind of crossed. And he, you know, he was kind of like a man, but he was kind of like still a boy. And so um, there was a lot of things we saw our father do that we couldn't understand. And so there's, he has a lot of fans. And so when I, when I wrote this book, it was really for his fans to know what he was really like. Because a lot of people ask, what was he really like? And, you know, and, you know, and did you guys have, was it always fun? And, you know, and I wanted to be as honest and as real as possible. So was it? Was it always fun? I bet not. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't always fun. It was, you know, we we got to see, you know, it's like when you see an actor or a performer on television, that's what they're doing. They're acting and performing. But behind the scenes, the real person that has to pay the bills, has to take care of the kids, you know, has to deal with day in and day out struggles as normal people do. Um, it's a, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, just living life is tough enough. So we got to see that part of him. And so it just, you know, it wasn't always fun. Let's go back. You mentioned about your father being adopted. So can you tell us how Junior Walker got his name? Because I know he wasn't born with that name. Correct. So his mother's name was uh, Marie Walker. And um, when she, when he was about five years old, uh, she told him, you, um, you need to go fend for yourself. And um, so, because she wanted to go party. So she basically kicked him out of the house and he would go and hang around the pool halls and he would eat crumbs off the pool tables to survive. And so uh, there was a man by the name of uh, Skeet DeWalt and um, he, um, he basically kind of took my dad in, you know, and their last name, you know, was DeWalt. 
And so um, when my uh, father, when he got older, uh, his mother was became jealous because, you know, he was dressing nice and he was doing well in order to get back in his good graces. She wanted him back, so she bought him his first saxophone. So he, you know, he started becoming famous and he didn't want everyone to use, he didn't want his family to have the name Walker. So he let, gave us the name DeWalt, his de adopted name. And he, you know, used as Walker as a stage name. Oh, I see, I see. So what was his rise to success like? I mean, you weren't there when he was a little boy and living on the street, but you, I mean, was he performing all of his hit songs by the time you were born or did you witness his rise to success? No, I was born in 1964 and that's when his first song or several songs started to become super popular like Shotgun and, you know, some other songs. And so he, you know, he had been performing in nightclubs and, you know, and he was doing like cover songs, which is other people's songs. And he, you know, he signed a contract with Motown. It was around 1964. He came out with his first hit uh, in 1964. And so he started becoming super famous and, uh, but he had had 11 kids by the time, you know, by 1964, my parents, you know, they had 11, 11 kids. And I mean, you can imagine, yeah. you know, feeding 11 kids is, is you know, it's quite a feat. So, yeah. you know, he, he needed to become famous. <laughs> so are you kind of one of the youngest in the family? I am the youngest. Ah, okay. Yeah. Thank you, the family. So were you involved in writing music or performing music during his lifetime? No, I, you know, I did a little bit on one of his last albums. I did a little bit of background singing, um, and that was called Junior Walker Blows the House Down. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I performed with him a lot on stage because I loved music. I loved singing. And, um, I kind of, as you know, the more I was involved in music, I kind of veered off and I got into Christian music. So I've written Christian songs, and um, but um, a few of the songs he actually, you know, we have recordings where he blows the sax on, but um, he, you know, I never got into writing the type of music that he did. I see. So can you tell us a little bit about his death? I remember you telling me something about the day he died. Yes. So when he died, um, it was, you know, it was a real um, eye-opening experience. Um, he had, um, he had lung cancer. And so um, the lung cancer had spread throughout his body. Um, his death started in his feet and it started going up his body and but he was able to um he was able to see into the spiritual realm and he was able to talk to us at the same time and he could tell us the things that he was seeing you know and he was saying that it was really bright 
It was beautiful. He said there was a lot of people that filled the room that were telling him to come with them. And so it was it was an eye-opening experience for us, you know, to actually see that. He was the first member of the DeWalt family, um, and so far the only member of the DeWalt family, besides my mom, that has, you know, that, that has passed. Oh. Well, his music certainly lives on. Yes, it does. <laughs> so would you be so kind as to read a selection from your book, Shotgun? Yes, I will read the last chapter. Um, I'll read just a little bit. It's called uh, Party Time. Um, it was November 1995. We had hired nurses to come and help June to be as comfortable as possible before he died. The hospice organization would send nurses to help. So on some days, we would have 24-hour nurse care. June would spend a lot of his time sleeping because of all the medication that they had given him. But on the days that he was awake, he would want someone to sit and talk with him. June would be awake different times throughout the night. So we decided to take turns even while he was sleeping, someone would sit next to him and watch over him. The nurse explained to us what was going on with him. They said that death had, was a process and that the body would start a slowly shut, shut down. They also said that the first thing that usually goes is the mind. People usually go into a coma or they just become completely incoherent. Then the nurse said, I've witnessed a lot of deaths. And the one thing I know is that you can tell who's saved and who's not. She went on to say that the saved ones always go very peacefully because they know where they are going, but the ones that are not die with the struggle because they are unsure of where they are going. She said, when the time draws near, you will know, and I always let the family know to tell the person that's dying that they will be okay because people that are leaving worry about things that they didn't do while they were alive. So when you tell them that everything is fine, it seems to ease their mind. Your family may want to say that to your dad. Charles called from prison and he said that he would be able to get out for a few hours to come and visit you. Tim went into the room and told June the news. He just nodded as if to say, okay, then he pointed to the chair next to the bed and whispered, sit down. Tim sat down and asked, do you need something, June? June said, I just wanted to talk. Tim said, I recalled the conversation was a lot of small talk at first. And then for some reason, I got up the nerve to ask him about why he did a lot of things the way he did. June looked out the window and said, well, I never had a father to teach me the things I always had to learn them on my own. A lot of things that I did, I knew they, they were bad while I was doing them, but I had no real example of what to do right. I never wanted to be alone because when I was younger, I was alone. I was always afraid that my family was going to leave me 
or I would lose them. That's why I wouldn't let you guys go to parties and have friends over. I remember telling you after graduation that when you walk out the front door that you could never come back into the house again. He took a deep breath and reached for my hand. I gave it to him. Then he said, I'm sorry. I had no idea how to be a father. I, I would give you things and hoped that was enough. I used my free hand to wipe the tear forming in my eye. Then June said, I was hard on all of you. I didn't understand until now that I, what I really had. Everything that I needed, God blessed me with through my kids, but I took everything for granted. I just realized these, these things because I've had nothing to do these past few weeks but lie in bed and think. The nurse walked into the room and said, okay, Mr. DeWalt, it's time for your medication. June said, I hope you understand. Tim said, I understand and hugged him. Wow. So moving. Yeah. Was that hard to write? It was very hard to write, you know, especially some scenes where um, I had to, you know, because I was talking with my mom who was alive at the time, and she filled me in on a lot of things um, that had happened. And um, it was, you know, because I asked what was, you know, I asked her what was the first time that you guys had had an actual physical fight. And that was, you know, that was really hard to write, you know, because, you know, I could imagine, you know, she was so in love with him. And then, you know, he, you know, he physically, you know, attacked her. So it, there were some things that was very hard to write, but it was very therapeutic for me because I didn't understand a lot of things about him. And it, it helped me to have a lot more compassion and forgiveness for the things that had happened. You know, I wish that, I wish that more fathers would, you know, talk to their kids and tell their kids, this is where I came from. You yeah, know, the person true. you see today is not the same person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good message for everybody to sit and talk to their children, even if they don't want to listen. Yeah. <laughs> they'll be happy to hear about it. Right. Uh, you know, and writing an autobiography in a way is what you did. Um, yes. it, it is cathartic. It, it helps you to understand now as an adult, some of the things that were going on, the difficult things you lived through. Well, you self-published that book. And um, I wanna talk a little bit before we go about self-publishing. Uh, and yes. I wanna start with self-publishing music. And you have a lot of insight in how the music business is today compared to back in the 60s and 70s. You know, artists, didn't know how to, well, I don't know if they didn't know, but they didn't really protect their work the way they do now. And some of the musicians did, like Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, they did it right. Right. right? And, Correct. And, and so, I mean, that's a struggle with musicians. I, I, I hear that all the time. Right. Yeah, it's a, back in the 60s, people were, they were excited to record, excited to get, hear their songs on the radio. And, you know, and just excited to make some money. 
but what they didn't realize is that um, music business and the business part, it's, it's actually a real functioning, living, breathing thing because one song, like the song Shotgun, it could, it, you know, it, it could make you money for the rest of your life. You know, and, you know, by radio, television, you know, commercials, you know, and now we have Spotify and, you know, all the, you know, like now on YouTube and, you know, different, you know, different channels, you know. So to get into self-publishing of music, it it's really is simple now. Um, you can choose. There's so many different varieties of uh, music publishing where you can create your music you can record it and you can post it online and start making money uh, my son he sells rap beats and he sells you know some of his own music and he does it you know he does it online um, and you can do it through uh, spotify and there's there's a lot of different music channels that you can go through um, you just have to make sure that your music is copywritten. Go to the uh, Library of Congress, copyright your song. Um, and before you play it on the radio, we've, I've had, uh, we had one guy that did some Christian music and uh, Katy Perry copied his music and she had to pay him $20 million for copying his song. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. so it, it definitely <laughs> copyrights your music. Yes. And so, um, and then uh, as far as copywriting, uh, doing self-publishing your book, um, what I did is I went through uh, Fever and um, the app Fever, and I had written the book, but I needed a um, editor. So I found the editor through Fever, and the editor uh, did an excellent job in editing the book. And then I needed a layout person, to, and that makes the book, uh, uh, it makes it look, put it in book form, you know, like chapter one, chapter two. And um, so um, I found that through Fever, and then I needed artwork done. Now my artwork, the cover, it's, uh, was created by my son Grant. Let's show that cover again because it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah Grant, Grant did that. Grant did, and that photos it's uh it's uh, like a bunch of photos put together, and it all if you really look at it, it's of him performing in different places. It's family members, and it's you know it's a lot of different things. So we. We did, we did all that uh, through Fever and then through Amazon. I, you know, you, you, you sign into Amazon, into their book, you know, creator, author. Um, you post most of your information and you send them your, your manuscript, your cover and the names and the information. And then they put, they put the actual book together. Wow. Sounds like a lot of work and, and it's amazing that you did it. Um, I have one book published on Amazon Vela called Under the Monkey Pot Tree based here in Kihei. Yeah. But my other book is uh, going, uh, is with an agent now. So I, I won't be self-publishing that one. But uh, 
And you are on your way. You've written a second book, The Lies Beneath the Truth. And you've got a third book coming up, Coconut Island. So can you give me a 30-second snapshot of what those books are going to be about? Lies Beneath the Truth is a two-parter. And it's a uh, it's a story about a man that um, he gets involved in a, in a cult unbeknownst to him, and they're trying to do all these crazy things to him. And um, he finally gets out of the occult. And so the first book, Lies Beneath the Truth, it's like a mirror of it's well, it's it's him telling one part of the story, and then on Coconut Island is going to be the mirror where his girlfriend or fiance that was involved in the cult, she's going to be telling her part of the story. So you get to see like both sides of the story. Oh, I like that. Yeah. We've talked quite a bit about books and publishing and I've read your books. And what's your takeaway message to all of our viewers? Uh, for the musicians and the artists, um, you you have to get involved in the business side, even though you may not be that savvy, because I'm not that savvy with uh, business as far as music publishing and owning copyrights and stuff like that. But um, if, if, you know, you should talk to, you should get a music attorney and you should definitely pursue um, capturing your music for yourself because to own the rights to publishing and to own your own music, it's, it's awesome. Because it's like I said, that's something you can live off for the rest of your life. And if you have a story that you can tell, just write it down. You know, write it down, get it out. I believe everybody has at least one story in them. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the music. <laughs> I know I don't have, I love listening to music, but I don't have a song inside of me. But I've got stories, I tell you. Yeah, you know, when I was listening to you, I really just thought everybody has the potential to just get in front of the computer, or get in front of the instrument or what have you, sing a song, write a book, just just get started on it. You'll be amazing. Exactly. Well, all the time we have today, I want to thank Kenneth DeWalt for being my special guest, our broadcast engineer, our floor manager, and Jay Fidel, our executive producer a special mahalo to our underwriters. And thank you for joining us. Books, books, books will be back in two weeks. Until then, read, write, and create your world. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.